Welcome to the Art and Science Joy podcast. This podcast is all about inspiring people to live more joyfully. So if you're seeking a bit more joy in your own life or seeking to bring some more joy to the lives of others, then this podcast could well be for you. I'm Andrew Cannon, and I have the honour to be your host. And in this episode, I'm excited to be talking with Lauren Fritch about finding joy in tough times. Lauren is an entrepreneur, an artist and a mum. Her mental model, the Joy Money Matrix, is a simple tool that empowers creative entrepreneurs to make strategic decisions to prioritise joy and improve revenue. A business owner from the age of 23, Lauren has coached billionaires, politicians, Olympians and stay-at-home mums while running a boutique consulting and coaching firm for nearly 18 years. Her life now includes more time for painting, working on her first book, parenting her nine-year-old, and supporting the licensees who use her systems. She currently lives with a family and two rescued pets in Buenos Aires. Lauren believes in the power of people to change, and that we are all more than enough, and that sequins are for every day. You can find more about her and at thejoymoneymatrix.com and at laurenfritch.com, and we put those um, links into the show notes. Welcome, Lauren. Hi. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Well, it's lovely to have you. It's lovely to have you. I always, well, not always, but often like to start with a definition. So so let's start with a definition of that little word joy and what does living joyfully look like in your opinion? Well, I also like to start with definitions and I think it's always fun to um, dive deeply into a word Joy is a word that we hear a lot. If you go to shops that sell various plaques to put on your walls, you'll often see it. Joy, you know, on a black font, white plaque, maybe it's aged a little bit. Um, And so it's a word that we're really familiar with, but sometimes that familiarity means that we don't think about what the actual meaning is. And I want to start out by saying something that might frustrate you, which is that, of course, everyone is going to have their own definition of joy, but we'll get to how you can build that in a sec. So with that caveat, sorry, um, let's talk about what what does it really mean? And when you Google around or hit the dictionaries, you're going to see that joy is often in the same definition. Happiness is often used to define joy. You'll often see the word pleasure in definitions of joy. Um, And those are both good words to start with, working, a feeling of great pleasure or happiness. Um, I would like to, to contextualize that a little bit more. And when I observe humans, and I've been a coach now for 18 years of adults, but I started coaching human potential when I was 14 years old. So that's almost 30 years ago. And, um, and I started my my work coaching sports. And so I've always been interested in like, how, how do we as humans grow, challenge ourselves and change? And so I've been looking at, um, you know, you don't compete well when you're unhappy, right? So I think I've always wanted to find like, what is the fuel that can help us enjoy this process of growth and change that is often really uncomfortable? And, Mm -hmm. and I think joy is one of those things and joy for me is an inside job. 
and happiness is more external. What do I mean by that? Uh, joy is usually frustratingly so unrelated to external stimuli. That means that what is going on in our environment, what is going on in our lives, what is going on um, in the world is not necessarily directly correlated to joy, to our own personal joy. Joy is an inside job. Um, there's a Rumi quote that I like to point to, and I think I need to pull it up so I get it right. It's here. When you do things from your soul, you feel a river moving in you, a joy. And I'm sure we'll come back to that in this conversation. But for the purposes of the definition of joy, I want to talk to you about that that river. It's something that is, it's almost spontaneous sometimes when it arrives. And it's a feeling for me of satisfaction um, mm. as much as, as pleasure. And I think satisfaction is actually, for me, a better word than pleasure or happiness. Um. And there's satisfaction there and there's contentment. And sometimes joy is a much more amplified sensation than happiness or pleasure, right? Like, mm, I'm eating this yummy bowl of cereal. <laughs> I don't know what your thing could be, right? Like, that's fun and happy. Maybe it's joyful. But um, the times when I'm feeling like real intense joy have usually been... Um, not, like I said, not directly related to the external stimulus. It's more about the state of being internally that I'm experiencing in that moment. So what does that mean? I think in order for us to each define ourselves for ourselves, what joy is, we have to look backwards. We have to go back to periods of time when we can say, ah, that thing that I felt then that was joy. That was joy. That was joy. And then get curious about it. What were the circumstances? What was going on? How were you feeling in your body? Because you've got this physiological, you've got the emotional body, you've got the psychological body. Like there are all these things that are contributing to that sensation. And if you can start to get curious in your own life about the times that you've experienced it, then it becomes easier to define it for yourself. And that inside job is something that you then take on with a lot more, um, a lot more knowing because you, you have data to, to back up your hunches. And so it's not something outside. Oh, I'm reaching for joy out there. Mm -hmm. You're, you're knowing that, oh, I can cultivate this in here. And, um, and so then you feel that, that upwelling of joy that we're talking about that, that can feel elusive at times. Excellent. So that was a really long-winded answer, but it was, it was, but I think it's very important because, you know, I think we're very aligned on how we see, see these things. And I think it's, you know, it can be bad news uh, that it's not these externalities necessarily, but I think ultimately that's, that's a brilliant piece of news, right? That we will have the power within us to find and cultivate joy. It's not dependent upon, externalities even though we can derive joy from those absolutely but they're not the the result of us ultimately feeling joyful or unjoyful so we have the power you know to we decide do. whether we want to we feel do. joyful although it's not always easy we have to admit and that's why we're talking today about hard times and we get round to those 
Um, the other thing I thought was interesting when you talked about life satisfaction and life contentment, um, someone who lives in Finland, which, you know, for six years in a row, being called the world's happiest nation, which is the biggest misnomer in the world, um, because the, the survey doesn't even measure happiness. It really does measure life contentment. And that's something that the Finns are very good at, of finding contentment in their life, even in the middle of winter, even the depth of six months in the darkness, they can find that inner contentment. But they won't necessarily express that in what some people would call happy or or external joy. So it's very interesting. But, you know, I think words are important. And so I'm super happy we got that definition. But let's learn a bit more about you, Lauren. Let's tell our listeners a bit more about your own life and how joy has or has not been there as part of your life journey so far. Well, you know the the old adage of you teach what you most need to learn, right? Uh, I think that... I think that that does hold true sometimes, but not always. And in this case, there have been times, I would say more so in the past decade, when I've (laughs) reflected in my journal or looked in the mirror, talked to my husband or a a business um, mentor and said, why am I the one who created this thing? (laughs) What in the world? (laughs) Why me? Because the disconnect between my state of being and the the concept of the joy money matrix felt like it just there's a huge chasm. How is it that I'm supposed to be shepherding this little piece of work through the world? Right. What the fuck? <laughs> and um and it's been it's been really confusing and i will say that prior to about a decade ago um that wouldn't have been a question i i am a naturally positive person i've been in the coaching industry for so long you know i had incredible success basically touching whatever like academics um elite athletics uh and then coaching you know I don't know how it happened, right? It, I had a, a roster of clients that over the course of the early stages of my career that was very enviable. And yet, mm. um, and, and so I was, you know, set up and like had a happy life. Um, all that to say, I also had an incredible amount of trauma, developmental trauma that I experienced um, early on. And, and for all intents and purposes, my life as a healthy person in those first three decades was an anomaly, like a statistical anomaly. The fact that I could be functioning and not an addict and, um, and, you know, have a business. It, it's crazy sometimes when I think about it. Um, so I felt like I was a really positive person. And then life got even harder. <laughs> and, um, and so even though I had tools to overcome a lot of things, you know, early in life, abuse, uh, lots of it, uh, an eating disorder, sexual assault, all those things paled in comparison to what I experienced over the past decade. And um, the tools didn't work and I couldn't find the joy. And just to give you context, you know, we often have... Um, 
family of origin stuff that goes on. I for sure do. The world got hip to something called complex PTSD, which Mm. completely changed how I thought about my healing process and how I spoke about it. And, and also the, the tools I, I searched for. Um, at the same time, we had a bit of a dumpster fire in the United States going on, uh, culturally, socially, that certainly impacted me personally. And then, um, my daughter has had for about seven years a debilitating, uh, neuropsych autoimmune disease called pandas, which on a good day looks like living with a psycho. So, um, we have been through it and I'm not even going to add to the rest of it, but certainly hardship related to finances and job loss. We have moved multiple times, uh, international moves. We have experienced loss of loved ones and it's all been compressed into this less than a decade period. And so, um, I say that not to like, beat the drum of like, oh, what was me? Hmm. But to share, like, if you're feeling ick, you're in good company. If there have been days where you're like, I can't do this anymore. I'm out of here. This world, peace. You're in good company. And I think that's a very natural human reaction to trauma, to chronic stress, to disease, and to death and grieving. So we as humans, we're experiencing all of these things and haven't even touched on a lot of the bigger cultural movements that have been happening as the background, right? So we have that too. (laughs) So even if you haven't necessarily experienced the capital T trauma in your life, you've still been existing in systems that are inherently traumatic, right? We are in a process where the world is like trying to decolonize itself, We're in a world where the systems are trying to say this is no longer sustainable. So joy, how can we come into into feeling joy in this? And that has been um, a question that I have struggled with, I've wrestled with. And um, some days I lose. (laughs) And I don't know that I ever win per Mm -hmm. se. But um, the the experiences that I've had have, um, have given me so much more ability to, um, to dig into this work even more deeply. And I, Mm. the woman I was when I created the joy mini matrix and it just celebrated a five-year birthday, I am not the same person at all. And so how I teach it and how I empower the facilitators to teach it has also shifted mm. for the better. And I'm sure, I mean, there's, there's so much we can talk about, but um, the bottom line is that joy has not been my default state. It has been right. one of the greatest challenges and I am lucky to be here. Fortunately have great support and hopefully some of the things that we talk about today can support anybody else who's also experiencing various hardship or trauma um, mm. and know that, that there's something else available to you, even when it's really, really dark. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for that and for sharing part of your own journey and some of the trauma and challenges that you face. And I love what you said about, you know, not being alone. I think sometimes we, we can get caught up 
in the feeling of why me if this is unique this thing happening to me and i think there's great solace to be taken in that these similar things are happening to so many people so much of the time that, that we're definitely not alone and having a support network that you talked about of people that can appreciate and realize that it's certainly a great help to many people on their on their journeys and you also talked about the societal challenges and we we'll get back to those in a moment um but let's look at the inside first and you know there's a lot of research out there i'm including the own work that we've done on the power of joy and how much people tell us when we ask them that they really do want more joy in their lives. Right? Very few people tell us, no, I don't want more joy in my life. So it's an easy question to say yes to. And, and we also know that even though joy is individual, the overarching recipe items are the same that are available to everybody. So on a real macro level, you could say, you know, your well-being, your sense of belonging, your impact on other people or on the planet as well as fun are some of those core elements that everybody can tap into to start building their own recipe for joy so that's all there and so everybody wants it it's reasonably easy from a, when you put it down on paper like that you do a little framework da, 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 a few boxes a few dimensions all good and then the reality is people struggle people really do struggle to to find and then harvest more joy in their lives on a daily basis. And so the question to you, Lauren, is why do you think that is? Why is it so difficult? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, there are multiple reasons, I think, that it's hard to access joy. Number one is um, I, I do think that there is privilege in being able to access those four core building blocks of joy. And so I think it's important to acknowledge that um, we all cannot necessarily get to those places of gratitude or connection or purpose um, for really real structural reasons. And so then it becomes even more important to say, uh, how, why is it so hard? Um, I think that we as humans have a tendency to, especially if there's a background of um, activated central nervous system. So if you have stress, if it's chronic, if your cortisol is high, your adrenaline is high, if you're living in any kind of circumstance that that jacks up the nervous system. um, Going to do the joyful things might not feel safe. And I think that we cannot talk about joy if we don't acknowledge um, that some of us don't have a feeling of safety around those activities, which might be our on-ramp to joy. Hmm. And so that's really important to acknowledge. um, And and some of those activities might be meditation or mindfulness or yoga um, and, uh, or, or fun for that matter. So if those things aren't accessible in a safe environment, Um, whether that's an internal environment or an external environment, then your on-ramp to joy is going to be a lot lot harder. If you have been taught that those things then aren't safe and you're out of of that environment or situation, then you're going to do something really common that um, some people call procrastination. I don't call it that. I call it holding our joys away from us. So it's like we build a little wall between us and our joys. And you're like... I know I should write the gratitude list. I know I should meditate for five minutes. I know I should say my prayers. I know I should just like 
text a friend to say, hey, whatever it is, everybody's got a different thing. We hold those joys away from us and we don't do them. And I think that is the number one reason that um, accessing joy, especially in times of hardship, is difficult. So why would we do that, Lauren? Why would we deliberately, in a way, make that choice to put that wall up, to, to put that barrier? What's the psychological reason? It doesn't feel safe. Mm. Um, and there is often a greater emotional payoff to the not doing than to the doing. So we can, we can, yeah, yeah. yeah, Let's tease that out a bit. So listen, a lot of people have written a lot of things about procrastination and, um, and the psychological reasons we do it. I take a, a slightly different perspective. Okay. And I'm, I'm talking about the things that we know are good for us that help us that might be tiny that we don't want to do. Or, or we do say we want to do them, but but we don't end up doing them. And I have an entire body of work about this called Ritual and Reward because I think it's so important and vital for um, for people I call rebel mystics. So people who are maybe neurodivergent or very creative mm. or um, highly sensitive. So I think about the, this from that perspective of the neurodivergent, the creative, the highly sensitive. So... Let's let's dig in. If there's this thing that we want to do that we think, oh, this could be a, an on-ramp to, to, as you say, harvesting my joy. And yet I'm still not doing it. Um, what's, in, what's at play there? So a conventional approach would just be, well, and I don't read very much about um, conventional approaches to doing things because it doesn't help, right? <laughs> like right. they say, you know, schedule it in your calendar or um, mm. put it on your to-do list or maybe have an accountability buddy that can maybe work, but you'll be like, oh, I totally forgot to text my accountability buddy today. I know mm-hmm. I've seen it. Hundreds of people I've seen it, this this stuff happen, but you really want to meditate. You really want to do your gratitude list. And um, what's happening is that you have a greater emotional connection to the not doing it than to the doing of it. And that is coming from my interpretation of the work of a woman. She's a psychotherapist named Chloe Madanes. Um, and she partnered with Tony Robbins actually a long time ago, but she's evolved her training. It's um, the Madonna's approach to, to uh, helping people change. And Mm -hmm. she talks about us having four human needs and, well, six, and we have a top four. And if one of these activities satisfies three of our top human needs, we're going to be really bonded to that activity. So if you're getting a lot out of not doing something, maybe it keeps your system activated and that's what you're used to. Maybe you're used to an inner monologue that's always like, I don't have, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time then you're used to that. Maybe not doing it means, oh, I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And you're really just joined to that identification, right? Of being Mm -hmm. busy. There are many, many reasons that we could get more out of the not doing than the doing. And they're going to be individual for each one. And some of them could be quite deep and some of them could be quite emotional. So as you're thinking, okay, what's really going on here? Would I rather, do I want to be the meditator or do I not want to be the meditator? Do I want to do my art every day or do I not? Um, 
it helps to get underneath the hood a little bit and be like, what am I getting out of not doing this? Mm -hmm. And just ask that question, start there and be really, really gentle. Because again, we have really good reasons for why we're doing these things. And um, it's helpful not to startle us, the internal self. (laughs) No sudden movements, okay? No no shock to the system. No. So if you're holding your joys away from you, um, know that there's a really good reason and start with the question of, what am I getting out of not doing it? I love that. I love that, Lauren. I love that thought of turning that question around because, you know, sometimes I'm looking at it like I used to do, the gym used to be my thing. Um, and, you know, classic of having the, the gym bag in the car and finding a, a million reasons why I, I shouldn't stop today, but I will tomorrow and uh, to keep it in the car. But I never did what you said back then of thinking about, well, why am I doing this? What's my, what am I getting out of not doing this? And I think if I'd done that, that would have helped me then build a routine that would work for me. It's definitely a good place to start. Um, And, and like I said, you know, there's, there's a whole other way to approach getting things done when you are not super linear and, and left brain, Mm. but um, that will be coming out next year in my book. (laughs) Looking forward to when, when's that, when's that due out? When's that due out? Um, I think we're going to, it's called ritual and reward. And it's how rebel mystics can stop procrastinating, get more done, and bring sacred reverence to their daily round. Love it. Love it. I love that term, rebel mystics. Beautiful. Thanks. Beautiful. Thanks. Um, and you said it was coming out roughly when? I know it's a thing. Uh, next fall. Difficult. And next if fall. it doesn't come out by next fall, then it, they'll they'll do it for January, you know, Christmas right. to January for all like the New Year's. <laughs> All right, well, we'll keep our members up to date we'll and we'll yep. let them know when it's coming out for sure, for sure. Thank you. Let's circle back to the macro world and, and, and you know, as we talked about, you know, there are so many challenges happening at the moment, um, social, economical, political, environmental. I think when we did our research into this, there were over 40 of these macro challenges or crises that people could hang their hat on. And, and mm-hmm. consider a challenge for them at the moment. So, you know, the world has always been challenging. Yes, I think we're more aware of it now. Obviously, the news media, everything is pushing this at us. And, you know, some of these challenges affect us today. Some of us could affect us tomorrow. Some of them will never affect us personally. But still, we have this feeling attached to them, perhaps that helps or or makes it more difficult for us to find joy with these things going on in the world. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that, of how are these externalities making it tougher for people today to, to find joy in their lives? I think, um, I think it's really easy to spend time in despair about the state of the world. And anybody who is empathic, um, is going to feel that more deeply. There is, it's, you're just going to feel it in a different way. Um, so I think two things have to, to be in play. I think one is in order to, um, be able to continue to find joy is to look for the bright spots and look for the, the people and the movements who are doing good work to to benefit the whole right 
I think that's one of the first things we have to do. The second one is um, to really invoke the non-dual perspective of yes and. There is a lot of crazy stuff happening and I still get to have a productive life or I still get to do this or I still get to have an impact in this way. And, you know, I use the term rebel mystic on purpose because the, the way of the mystics of, and and if you're not familiar with that term, the way that I use the term mystic is um, I came at it, I guess, as I started to interrogate my upbringing in a very like fundamentalist religious background, Protestant evangelical background, um, I realized that there were there were religions, usually sects, smaller sects within all the major religions that would identify as mystics. And the difference with mystics and then the conventional church was always personal experience and contemplation. Um, and so there is a, and and then connection and community was a big part too. So you have people who were committed to having a personal, uh, one-on-one direct, non-mediated by religious, you know, people, uh, experience of the divine who also, um, spent time in contemplation and meditation and who also cultivated a community. So, in in there there are the Sufis um in in Islam there are the 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 Kabbalah is in Judaism you've got Christian mystics through you know through time um there there are mystics in in lots of different religions so it's not a a doctrine or a dogma it's more about empowering the individual within the context of community to say i'm going to experience this and the reason I think it's important to have that concept of the mystic when answering a question about the disaster <laughs> that we experience in our world on a micro level and a macro level is because I don't think that um, we are equipped out of the womb with tools to get our arms around the suffering that we now see and are bombarded with because of technology. Um, No one gave us a roadmap for, for how to be human now that everything that's happening is in front of us all the time, every day, if, if we choose to look at it. And so that can be a very heavy place for empaths and for people who are seeking joy. And I don't necessarily think the answer is all the time to go the other direction and go, I'm not going to look at it at all, which I have Mm -hmm. done in my life. Um, And that served its purpose in 2008. I didn't even know what Darfur was. And um, I was on a media fast for about two years. And so it can be helpful at times. The people who I think... um, provide great wisdom around this tend to be the the leaders like Dalai Lama um uh Tokopa I think is amazing talking about this and then to consider um a there's a, a type of of meditation that is where you take in the suffering of the world and you use your breath and then you send back out your love right and um 
I, there's some neuroscience in there that maybe I want to talk about at another a point in time, but all that to say is if you want to experience that kind of participation with the suffering of the world, um, then that can be a really effective way to do it. And it doesn't, you don't need someone to, to teach you how to do this. You can just do it on your own. Um, so for example, on an in-breath, you can breathe in. I don't want to say one or the other, but like you can breathe in Palestine and Israel on the in-breath. You can breathe out your love, your compassion on the out-breath, right? It is literally that simple. You don't need instructions. You don't need a video. That's what you do. This works beautifully for family. Um, mm. So I will often go breathe in a name, breathe out love and compassion to that person. And I say that as someone who's gone no contact with various family members. I still do that. Mm. That And you can call it breathing. You can call it meditation. You can call it prayer, whatever, whatever works. So that for me is is the way that we alchemize the suffering that we are witnesses of so that we can not overwhelm our, our nervous systems. Um, and if you need to take a break, by all means, permission to take a break from, from the chaos, right? Cause you got to start here. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I like those. I like those two things. One of the things that what to me that the fasting of the media didn't really work, but the learning and ability to, not take it personally, the things that weren't in my sphere of influence um, became extremely helpful for me through that process to try and understand where where I could influence and where I couldn't influence things. But I love that breath work aspect, adding to that, that uh, show that love, show that compassion to, to not just be a neutral player, but uh, participate energetically in the healing yeah it's helpful Um, it's helpful to have like a whole an exercise to do because otherwise you can get stuck in feeling powerless powerlessness and then like scrolling Mm -hmm. but the other thing too is that um self-righteousness or righteousness is not necessarily a bad thing but when we're talking about these kind of like chaotic things that are happening around the world war climate whatever whatever you get righteous about and and rightfully so. Okay. There's a whole conversation to be had about what that's doing for you and whether or not that's positive in your life. So that I think is, is it's tangential to the joy conversation, but it's certainly relevant when you're, when you're diving in deeper and deeper into how you do Mm. cultivate joy. So just sidebar that and think about, Oh, there I am getting, getting self-righteous about something. Right. And then thinking, I think taking that next to the next level to think about, well, can I possibly do something about mm-hmm. what I'm passionate about to not try and solve mm-hmm. all of those 40 crises maybe in the same day, but so right. it's one that you are really passionate about and, and maybe focus mm-hmm. some of your energy on actually trying to do your little bit to help that and forgiving yourself for not taking on all of these challenges and not trying to be yeah, sort of solving perfect. all the world's problems, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, we're getting towards the end, Lauren, of this. We could talk forever about this. I, I, I know that now, uh, for sure. Um, we always like to sort of wrap up to give a little bit of summaring or summarizing of, of the advice that you would give for somebody, you know, who is going through some tough times at the moment in their life and struggling to find joy. We touched on some of them, obviously 
during our chat. But if you just summarize that would be the two or three things that you would say to them. Yeah, um, I think this is where the neuroscience is really important. And um, when things get hard and you you have an activated nervous system or there's charge, right? So it could be as intense as feeling a trigger or it could just be your chronic state of, of overwhelm. It can be really hard to practice some of the conventional approaches to accessing joy, namely gratitude. So that's often the first one that people suggest. And I say, please don't go there. Here's why. Um, it, It shouldn't be your first stop on the joy train when you're feeling activated because neuroscience, um, When you are feeling activated, there are usually only two things that can help get your prefrontal cortex back online. What are those things? Those things are love and compassion. Okay. Um, So go to those first. How do we go to those? What does that that look like? Um, I think usually compassion is actually easier. So that is a great time to think about those people um, or, or animals or, or whomever incites for you feelings of compassion and, and warmth, right? You don't have to love them, but you're like, oh, you know, like fur babies are a great place. Um, if there is someone in your life that you feel love for, then going there is a great, a great spot. And that can, can help get your prefrontal cortex online. And again, this is when things are hard, when we're activated, we're, we're just Absolutely. overstressed, we're overwhelmed, we're in a depression, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and and I remember when someone suggested to me, oh, make a gratitude list. And I was like, fuck off with your gratitude list. That is <laughs> not on my agenda. And I was like right. mad. I got triggered, right? Totally right. triggered. But but I learned later why that was the case, why that mm. felt so far away from me. Um, and it sounds super cheesy, but if you've ever heard of heart math and, or if you haven't go check out the research, but there is the heart actually has incredible, uh, electrical charge, right. And it keeps our bodies going. And so it sounds cheesy, but one of the ways that I get my, my prefrontal cortex back online after I've been activated is, um, hand over heart and what heart math calls heart breathing, breathing through your heart. So instead of breathing Mm -hmm. through your nose or your mouth, you like visualize heart breath, right? So you can see the expansion and contraction of the breath from the heart center, from the heart space. That will get you into love and compassion. So that's cool. Um, And if you're super activated and joy is nowhere to be found, don't worry about taking deep in breaths, that can be counterproductive to what you're trying to do. Actually focus just on a really long, nice out breath. You're going to automatically breathe in whichever way you need to. Don't worry about it. And then, and you can do that through your heart. Um, I think there's also more to be said, but it's not quick. So I'm not going to, I'll skip it today. Um, about the practice of acceptance of whatever is the heaviness that we have. And um, I am still building my acceptance muscle. I'm really bad at it. Um, I at times hate it. And, um, and yet uh, I know that that's a, a big piece. And so, you know, 
acceptance, you're going to be like, you're some lady on a podcast. You're telling me to accept this like really shitty situation. I'm not telling you to, it's a, it's a much richer, bigger thing, but know in the back of your mind, there will come a day when you're like, I think I'm ready to, to start picking that thread and, Mm -hmm. and it will be there for you when, when you're ready for that. Um, but you don't have to accept anything right now, especially if it's shitty. Um, and finally, um, remember that joy is an inside job Mm -hmm. and that no one can take it away from you. And, um, that it's usually free. There you go. There you go. Excellent. That's, that's, that's good to know in the world we're in today with the cost of living crisis being one of the things yeah. impacting us. Go inside, find that, find that joy. And yeah, I think we'll, we'll circle back to acceptance and maybe even forgiveness, um, and forgiveness of self even as, as maybe another topic that can be a, definitely a path to to joy um out of darkness so we'll leave that for another time so finally back to joy quick question we always ask our guests lauren what brings you joy nature such a basic answer but it's like my favorite (laughs) it's beautiful it's a one word answer it's an answer i I, I will say i can say i will say i do like sparkly things so they also give me for every joy. day, right? Sequins yes, are for every day. I love, I love Absolutely. sparkly things, but, um, but yeah, nature is, is my right. jam. Well, we can put those two together. So when the sun sparkles on a stretch of water, that's purely magical to sit it there is. and reflect upon the, the beauty of that. So thank you, Lauren, for joining us today. It's been a real pleasure and a joy chatting with you. Um, and I hope you, our listeners, have enjoyed this podcast episode as much as I have. And I hope you've been inspired by Lauren to find joy in your life, even when times are on the tough side. If you're not already a member of the Year of Joy community, please visit our website, The Art of Science of Joy, and find out more and how to join. And we'll post the links on how to connect with Lauren and find out more about the great stuff she's up to in the show notes. And as I said, we'll publish the the link to her book when that comes out. Looking forward to that already. So thank you once again, Lauren. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Andrew. Likewise, I really enjoyed our conversation. Excellent stuff. So thanks once again, listeners. And I hope you tune in for the next episode of the Art and Science Joy podcast. Until then, stay well and find your joy. <laughs>